Hello, and welcome to the Sasha Sessions, a Team USA podcast. I'm your host, Sasha Cohen, Olympic silver medalist in figure skating. Joining me this week is Cody Miller, an Olympic gold medalist in swimming. Cody is training to represent Team USA in his second games in Tokyo this summer, as well as preparing for his first child. Welcome, Cody. Thanks. I'm happy to do it. This is cool. I want to jump, I guess, straight into it. And I I absolutely love talking to athletes who, uh, you know, it's not their second rodeo and are preparing for a second games. There's that added life experience and perspective. And, you know, for you, I know you are about to add a new addition to your family. So there's a a lot of things that that have changed for you since, since your first Olympic Games. And I guess my question is, what is the frame of mind going into Tokyo 2020 in 2021? Oh, it's so different. It's radically different in a lot of ways. As you said, I mean, I'm about to have a baby here in eight weeks. So actually, we're less on that now. So it's like coming really soon. And um, we kind of planned it around uh, expecting the games to happen summer of 2020. So, you know, in January of this year, we were like, okay, we're going to start trying to have kids and then we can maybe have the baby after the games, right? And so with the postponement, it kind of threw a wrench in that plan. Um, So now I'm just kind of rolling with it. I feel like with, you know, due to COVID and everything that's happened, uh, uh, I just feel pretty fortunate and grateful that I'm even be able to be in a pool again because <laughs> there was a long period of time where we weren't really even, you know, our university pool shut down for months. All the, all the pools in the areas were shut down. And so there was like this chaos. I mean, obviously there's bigger problems going on in the world than not being able to have like, for me being a swimmer, being able to have a pool to swim. But, um, so my mindset's like totally different from the fact that I have the experience of going into an Olympic trials before and going through a games before, fortunately, successfully. Um, but then also knowing that I'm just like in a different place in my life. I feel like, you know, leading into 2016, I was a man on a mission whose sole goal was to make the Olympics. I mean, like that was the defining element of my life was trying to make that team. Um, and therefore, everything that surrounded you know, my life was, was secondary. I mean, uh, I made a lot of sacrifices in order to achieve that dream of making the team. Um, and now I'm in a totally different position where like, we're starting to have a family. I'm married now. I run a business. Um, I do a lot of other things that are now equally as important. Like I'm, I'm definitely on the, on the road to trying to make another Olympic games. Um, but I think who I am as a person is fundamentally different. Um, I mean, we, we, that just that one question we could probably talk for like for hours and hours and hours about, but, you know, being like a veteran and I think they all Olympic athletes, like after the games, they kind of have that moment where you have to reassess, like what is important in your life? What are your values? Are you going to keep doing this? Whatever your respective discipline is, why are you going to keep doing it? Um, you know, you have to have all those conversations with yourself, you know, with your significant other, with your coaches and, um, I just, I'm at a different place in my life. I have a different mindset. And um, I think that anyone that is in a similar position to me would probably say the same. There are so many different directions that I want to go with your answer. I guess my first question would be going into a second games, is this potentially your last games or do you see yourself swimming for another five years? Um, Yeah. So I definitely see myself swimming for another five years. Could this potentially be my last games? It could, very well could. Um, you know, fortunately for the sport of swimming, we're in a bit of a, 
a transitional period where in the swimming world, we have just had this this new league come into play, this new professional swimming league that has taken up a lot of sponsors and is gaining a lot of traction. And um, actually, right now, a lot of a lot of the professional swimmers around the world and a good majority of the United States national team is on their way to Budapest right now to live for 30 days and compete in this bubble um, for this this ISL, this International Swimming League. And um, you know, the way I see it, this this league only getting more and more success and gaining more and more traction, it's providing a lot of opportunities for swimmers that didn't used to exist. And it's providing, you know, financial incentives to keep on training. Um, you know, most Olympic swimmers um, are not multimillionaires making tons and tons of money. Um, I'm fortunate that I have a handful of sponsors and I've got a successful YouTube channel and so, and I run a business. And so, you know, I, I can keep swimming, but you know, most, most Olympic swimmers, friends of mine that were on the 2016 team, you know, don't have crazy financial incentives to keep training. Um, but now with the introduction of this new swimming league, that is going to change because just for any, you know, mid-level national team swimmer who is on the cusp of making an Olympic team, or maybe just misses making an Olympic team, maybe you get third at U.S. Olympic trials, miss an Olympic team, but you're still eighth fastest in the world. Right, like, what is your incentive to keep swimming if you can't compete at these games? Well, now you have this league where you can sign with a professional team and you can make over a hundred thousand dollars in you know five or six months. Um, so it's very exciting. So me being like a hardcore you know fan of sports and and swim fan, I'm like very excited for like where we at where we're at as like a, as a sport. Um, and for me, um, you know, knowing that this could it, it could potentially be my last games, um, but I don't see myself stopping swimming anytime soon. Um, because I'm in a position where you know I'm able to, I feel I feel very lucky about that. I think it's so important uh, for the audience and for fans to recognize the work of an Olympian, um, a hopeful Olympian, and that chance to be on a world stage once every four years, and the you know the lack of economic opportunities perhaps outside of that and outside of sponsorships. And so I think it's incredible that this league is giving swimmers this opportunity. Um, I want to circle into, and I guess the reason I asked about how long you'll keep swimming, because I, I think a sport like figure skating or gymnastics has um, certainly a shelf life or, you know, we we don't really get to have these longer, more expansive careers just due to injuries and um, the nature of the demands of the sport on on a young body. Uh, but I knew going into, you know, trying to make my third games that this would be this kind of iconic moment and, and time in my life that I'd look back on when I was 80, you know, and, and the training and the aspirations of being, uh, you know, potentially a three-time Olympian. But at the same time, it was my second game where it's like, this is your make or break moment to win the medal. And here are the expectations. And, you know, you said your first games, you had this intense sole purpose to make this game and and then you won a gold medal alongside your idol Michael Phelps um, in a team event, and yet you also won a bronze medal as an individual. And I think, you know, maybe the audience doesn't fully realize how different it is competing by yourself and on a team, and how few athletes get to do both. Um, and so I'd love to hear your um, your memories or your experiences and how you compare uh, the the two different uh, experiences. Yeah, most people don't. It's weird now. Like, it doesn't feel like that long ago that I was like just like a high schooler or even younger, like looking up to guys like a Michael Phelps or guys like an Aaron Pierce, all these world record holding swimmers. 
Um, and now it's like, you know, I've got this Olympic rings tattoo. I've got these, these accolades and, um, it, it was it just does it time flies, man. Like it doesn't feel like that long ago that I was just like thriving to, to be one of them, you know? And, um, as you said, I, I grew up, you know, with posters of Michael Phelps on my wall and, uh, you know, I met him when I was 15 and then almost 10 years later, I was on his career ending relay. And, um, that was like a really surreal moment for me. It was just very, very, I have a hard, I've been asked similar questions and I always have a hard time articulating it because I can't quite put it into words, like what it meant for me. Um, and this, the same goes for like winning my, winning my bronze medal. So I, I won a bronze medal in the hundred breaststroke and I set an American record in the final at the games. And that for me was just this glorious dream come true moment because I was just trying to get on the team right? Like I wasn't even thinking about medals. I was just, I just wanted to be an Olympian. And I obviously everyone has different mindsets, right? Like certain athletes have different sets of goals. Certain athletes are looking past the trials, but in our sport of swimming, if you just make the team, then you're already pretty much considered a medal contender because that's how good we are. I mean, for example, a good friend of mine, a guy by the name of David Plummer, um, he got third at U S Olympic trials in 2012. He got third and went the third fastest time in the world and did not get, get to compete in the games. And then fortunately, four years later, he, he qualified for the games. He got second at Olympic trials four years later and then won a bronze medal. And so that's like just this, you should have him on the show. He's like a really amazing person. But for him to miss a team by that much and know that he was good enough to win a medal and then not get to go, just, ugh, I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. Um, but for me, it was just like my mindset was just try, just, just make this team. And so when I got to the games, I just felt like I kind of had already fulfilled my lifelong dream and everything else was just kind of icing on the cake. And so I kind of was able to take the pressure off myself and just, just be happy and like be joyful that I was there. Whereas I was looking around at a lot of people on this, on the pool deck at the games were very, very strung out. Like very, you could see the tension in the air, you could feel it. And I just like, wasn't living in that reality. Um, and I think that that really helped me. And, um, obviously I, I won that medal and then I got to be on that relay and that, you know, being on relay is just like just the most fun thing because you're swimming for more than yourself. And, um, a lot of athletes, whatever the discipline is, don't, don't really get that. You know, there's not a whole lot of sports where, you know, particularly Olympic sports where you're able to just compete together, I think. And, um, you know, knowing that like I was swimming into the wall for Michael Phelps and like, I could not screw that up. Like his final race ever, like, just don't blow this. And, uh, I was swimming next to Adam Peaty of great Britain, who is far and beyond the fastest breaststroker who's ever lived. I mean, just smashed the world record, won that event. So I was, I was like, okay, like I have to play a really pivotal role here. Um, and when I look back at that, it's just like looking at what my mindset was, how I coped with the stress, how I coped with those pressures, and I like one of my favorite things is talking to other athletes about those kinds of situations. You know, it doesn't even have to be the Olympics, just those high pressure situations. Like, what is your process? How do you deal with it? You know, what's going through your mind? I love that stuff. Um, and as I said before, like, I'm a totally different person now, but I think I'm still a pretty good racer. So <laughs> fingers crossed for next year. <laughs> I find the evolution of an athlete and of a person so interesting because there are, there are life cycles, right? There's the ambitious upstart that's hoping to get to his first Olympic Games. And then inevitably, there are periods of struggle and injury and lack of motivation and a loss of joy in a sport. And 
being in the sport for as long as you've been in it, I, I know that you're not immune to that. And I, I wanted to uh, ask you if you could describe a moment, um, you know, that I think I heard you mention in a previous podcast of when you really had to decide whether you were going to quit swimming or get a job um, or kind of like just double down on swimming. And that there are so many struggles that, you know, an athlete faces over the cor- course of their career. And I, I find your story very interesting because you've had such high highs and such high lows. And, um, you know, how, how has that shaped the athlete you are yeah. today? Yeah. I mean, I've, I've got a lot of those, a lot, like a lot of flood of memories just like came rushing as you said that. Um, the first one, like a big pivotal moment for me was basically when I, when I finished college swimming. So I finished my senior year of swimming and I was a good NCAA swimmer. Like I was, I was a very good NCAA swimmer, but I never won a national title. I never set an American record. I was never on an A-list team USA team. And now I'm what, 22, 23 years old, 22 years old, graduated at 22 years old. And I'm in this position where I wanted to keep swimming. I wanted to take a shot at making the Olympics because I thought maybe I could do it, but I'd never really done anything to substantiate that quest for me to be like, hey guys, like this is why I'm going to not go get a job now that I've graduated from college. I'm just going to keep swimming. Because as I said earlier, there was really no financial incentive for me to keep swimming. You know, I wasn't a guy that was going to get sponsors right out of the gate. Like I said, I'd never won a national title. Um, and so there was this big pivotal moment for me where I was like, okay, I'm either going to quit or just go throw myself all into this. Like it's, it was one or the other. And, and it was like a, it was a real struggle. Um, and obviously like I decided to keep swimming and, um, I did everything that I could to scrape together just enough money to train for like six months for the following nationals. Um, and I thought, okay, so I finished NCAAs in March of 2014 after I, you know, finished college and then I had five months until U.S. Nationals, which was a big selection meet. They were going to select world championship teams for this meet. So I was like, okay, I just need money for six months. I didn't have any, any parents to like fall back on or anything. And I, I washed cars. I detailed motorcycles. I did a lot of housework. Um, and then I just fully focused on, focused on swimming with no school or anything. Um, and then like I, I won, like I, I won the meet and I was like the fastest American breaststroker and it was, and we're in the middle of the quad. Now we're two years out and I'm like one of the guys. And that was like a big you know breakthrough moment. Um, but I've been on the flip side of that as well. Right. Uh, you know, that two years after 2016 Olympics in summer of 2018, you know, we were three months into, three months away from U.S. Nationals, once again, another world championship qualifier. But this time, I'm not that hungry young buck just trying to do everything he can to to be able to train. I'm an established Olympic swimmer. I have American records. Like I have the big target painted on my back. And uh, just a few months before Nationals, I start having horrible pains in my knee. And, um, you know, long story short, I dealt with a really bad knee injury that lasted like, you know, about nine months. And, um, you know, I... I started swimming really, really poorly. I wasn't able to train and uh, wasn't able to compete at a high level. And um, I, I mean, I think no matter what sport you're in, you always go through those periods of time where you're just struggling with the question of why. Like, why am I doing this? Because I had already been to the games. I've, I've already won these races. And now, like, I'm continuing on this path with really no direction, no goal, and things just aren't going my way because – you know, I've got a, a torn MCL. I've got an inflamed knee. I'm not able to go to the pool. I'm not having fun. Um, you know, those struggles are real. Um, and so, yeah, I've certainly, 
I've certainly had moments where I wanted to quit. I've certainly had moments where I didn't think I was going to get out of it. I mean, I've had kind of, as you said, like really the low of lows. Um, but fortunately, I've had a lot of really good people around me to kind of pick me up when I need. So, I mean, sports are tough, man. <laughs> it does seem to me personally that injuries are perhaps the most trying events because as athletes, I think we have this mindset that everything is un- in our control, like how hard we train, if we prepare our strategy, yes. um, how mentally confident are we, how much are we going to push through the pain? And then all of a sudden you have an injury that if you push harder, the injury gets worse. And all of a sudden you're, you know, further behind than where you started. And so yeah. I always wonder how, you know, different athletes, what mindset they bring to that. And it's so, like almost like this acceptance. So my that mindset of pushing through the pain is actually what made my injury worse because I was so callous to the idea of just taking it easy. I was like, there's no way. Like I can't, that's not in my DNA. You feel that's lazy. Hard. You feel yeah. lazy, right? Yeah. And so I started having this pain in my knee and I was just like, screw it. I'm just going to push through it. And I would, I would just block it out. And I was basically, you know, so for the people listening that don't know the swimming world, I swim breaststroke, which is a, which is basically the frog stroke, right? Which is the weird frog-like kick, which is very, very unnatural. And it's like kind of hard on your joints. And so I started having this pain and I just kept doing this very unnatural mechanic where I'm putting all this force and torque on these little tendons in my knee. And basically that, that work ethic, that mentality that, you know, made me really good ultimately made me really, really hurt my knee because I could have, I could have backed off and I just did not because I was leading into a meet. And, um, yeah, sometimes, sometimes that's a double-edged sword. I'm sure for a lot of athletes. It's, there's a sense of humility that I think you acquire as you get older and you realize the body breaks and, um, finding the balance of like, what is the right amount to push and, and what ultimately sets you back. And I know that you've spoken quite a bit about how much you are pushed by your coach and, um, how much you respect your coach for kind of developing you and making you the athlete you are today. And, you know, I'd love to hear, you know, the story of how you uh, chose your coach, um, but also just for the audience to to know just the perspective I think your coach had when he told you that the Olympics is going to be one of the highlights of your career and your life, but there will be better things yet to come. And I think that's so rare for a coach to see that in that moment when athletes and coaches think this is the pivotal moment of life. And then, you know, you kind of go out to pasture after. Um, So first of all, you know, setting that picture of who that coach is and then kind of how he developed uh, you into the athlete you are. Yeah. So uh, I I can, I can speak on, on two coaches, perhaps. The first was my, my age group coach, Ron Aiken of the Sandpipers of Nevada. So I grew, I grew up in Las Vegas, uh, swimming for the Sandpipers. And um, he was effectively my father figure all the way up until I went to college. It was like the closest thing I ever had to, you know, a real dad. And um, he made me just the tough, harsh swimmer that I am, just the push through the pain kind of a guy. Uh, my favorite story, I love telling the story because it's like, it's probably frowned upon nowadays, but I remember we were doing this crazy long practice and we showed up to the pool and he had a whiteboard. He just started writing the set. It was like 100, 200, 300, 400 meters, 500 meters, 600 meters, 700 meters, 800 meters. And it ended up being this 8,000 meter long IM practice. And it was all straight. So it was basically, so for people that don't know swimming terms, that's like, that's like five miles. That's like swimming five miles straight. And it's not just swimming freestyle, the paddle stroke. It's like mixing strokes. 
And I remember looking at that like, oh my gosh, how am I going to be able to do this? And uh, we warm up and then we're about to start the set. He turns the clock on and we start going. And 200 meters into this 8,000 meter IM set or whatever you want to call it, uh, I got a really bad Charlie horse in my, in my calf and it like seized up and it seized up to the point where I like, I was like just trying to stay above water. So I like rest on the lane line. I'm like getting air. I'm like trying to get my calf to loosen up. And I'll, I never forget this because this was one of those pivotal moments that like stuck with me. Um, I turned to my coach who was standing on the side of the pool watching me. And I was like, Ron, I can't do this. I can't do this, man. Like, I, there's no way I'm going to be able to do this set. And he looked at me very sternly and he said, find a way. There's going to be times in your life when you are on your own and no one is there to help you. Find a way. You're going to struggle. Find a way. And that was it. And then he walked away. And I, in that moment, I like, I wanted to cry. I was panicking. Like, I was like almost going to, I was like, basically hyperventilating. I was scared and I didn't know what to do. And so I just kind of put my head down and started paddling with my arms and not using my legs, just kind of dragging my leg and slowly doing laps. And lo and behold, about 300 meters of easy swimming in and my leg just totally loosened up and I was fine. And, and how old were you? This is, I was about 14 at this time. Yeah. 14 years old, maybe even younger, maybe 13. Um, and I did the whole set. I did the whole 8,000, like the whole five miles or however long it was. And I, I like look back at that moment and I'm like, man, the, the contrast of my mindset from prior to the set, during the set, when I physically thought there was just no, no possible way. And then the feeling I had after the set, like I was so happy that he made me do that. I was so happy that he didn't baby me, that he wasn't like, oh, like, let's get a doctor to check you out. Like, let's here, come out of the water. Let's stretch. We'll take it easy today. Like there was none of that. I never got any of that. And I'm not saying that that's the case for everyone. I'm not saying that that's advice that everyone should take, that you should always push them. No, but that for me was a big moment. And so he really developed me into the, the tough swimmer that I am. Um, and the, the, other, the, the other coach that I would bring up is Ray Luz, the head coach of Indiana University, the coach that I swim for now. I've been here, you know, shoot, 12 years now. Um, and I, you alluded to that story. Um, I remember we were at the Olympics and I had already won my, uh, my bronze medal prior to me winning my gold medal. I had already won my bronze medal. I was on deck and my training partner is a girl named Lily King, who is the Olympic gold medalist world record holder in the hundred meter breaststroke. She's basically my sister. Um, anyway, so we're on deck and, uh, she maybe, I don't know, 15 yards in front of us is about to get on the podium. She's about to receive her gold medal and I'm standing next to Ray and I'm like super emotional, Ray's super emotional. And he puts his arm around me as she's stepping up onto the podium. And, he's, and he says, Cody, like, I want you guys to understand that like, this is one of the biggest moments of your life. Like you deserve all of, all of the goodness that's about to come to you. You deserve all the success, everything like you did this. Um, but he told me that he wanted me to know that like, this is not the highlight of your life, that there are better things to come. And I think that he was going through something at that moment that made him also realize that because Ray, who is one of the best coaches in the world, was a swimmer um, and got third at Olympic trials and never made the Olympics. So he just missed his, just, I mean, he missed his Olympic dream by fractions of a second. And so for him to be there as a coach, coaching two Olympic gold medalists, I think that he just realized, you know, through the process and probably over the years after, you know, him, after his swimming career ending that, you know, the most important things in his life are his family are, you know, his friends, his daughter, his son, those kinds of things. And I think that he just wanted to 
kind of reinforce that in the moment. And like you said, asking the question, I like look back at that and I'm like, that was very profound and very, very insightful to know at that moment because I mean, I'm sure you know a lot of Olympians that, you know, come off of the games and it's a tough ride, even for the most successful ones. I mean, the Olympic blues are a real thing. A lot of people struggle with those kinds of things. And that's probably a topic for a whole nother podcast, but uh, it's tough. So I've been really fortunate to have really, really, really good coaches um, that helped me get where I am today. Um, Yeah, I uh, thanks for letting me reminisce on that a little bit. I just, I always appreciate the wisdom um, when you can get a little bit outside of yourself. And I, I always call it that planet Earth moment, where if you can just like zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, see yourself at the games from very far away in the context of life as this moment in time, it gives you not only this appreciation um, and gratitude for where you are, the hard work that brought you there, but how that. And I think this is the most difficult thing and why athletes struggle with depression um, or a lack of purpose is like, how does that moment, that Olympic moment fit in with the rest of your life? And whether you're a one-time athlete, a medalist, um, someone who had an injury that sidelined them from making the team. And I think this really goes into identity. And, um, you know, I'd love to hear how you think of yourself. Are you a swimmer? Is that who you are first and foremost? How has that sense of identity changed um, since 2016? Um, and then how did you deal with, um, you know, the weeks and months following 2016? Because I, I feel like one like kind of slight segue is I couldn't ima- imagine life after 2006, like February 28th. It just didn't seen possible. Mm-hmm. You know, there just like wasn't a, an after. Um, mm-hmm. And every day, every waking moment was obsessing over this one goal. And and so I, I find that it's something that athletes should talk about. Like, what is the flip side and how do you think about it? I uh, completely agree with you. As I said a little bit earlier, I, you know, I was so single-minded leading into 2016. I thought about nothing else. Everything was everything was secondary. Um, and there was no after I never, I never thought about the after I never thought about how I was going to deal with those things. And it's a constant debate that I have with some of my friends about that, that single minded mindset. Is that a dire necessity to be as successful as possible? Do you need that? Is there a way to, is there a way to be as prepared physically and mentally for those moments, but also prepare for what lies after? I don't know right? Because I've only had my experiences. I've been asked, you know, do you think you could have been as successful if you weren't so, I don't know, we could call it selfish. We could call it single-minded. You call it whatever you want. Um, And I I don't know. I I think that those qualities are oftentimes what leads to the most successful athletes. Um, But like I said earlier, for me now, like I'm not the same person. Um, You know, I had moments after the, it was very weird. It was so weird coming back because like, I was kind of well-known in like the little swimming world um, prior to the Olympics, but then coming back from the Olympics, all of a sudden, I mean, and let, let's be clear, let's put my ego in check. Like I'm not like a really famous person by any stretch of the imagination. I'm not like a Michael Phelps, okay? But a lot of people knew who I was. And I remember like, I couldn't even walk into like my local subway without someone recognizing me. And that was a very bizarre, strange experience that just kind of kept happening. Um, and it was like, a process of learning how to deal with that for me and for my wife and 
you know, for my other teammates, like, like Lily King, like we were the same way. She was just this young swimmer girl. And then all of a sudden she's got two gold medals and everyone in her state knows who she is. And we had, we talked about it. It was very, very strange. And I don't think there's a way to prepare for that. I don't, I, I, I don't think there's a way to combat that. Um, I don't, I don't know. I don't, cause it's, it's so, so strange. Um, and you know, I mean, I had a fairly su- successful year from a competitive standpoint after the Olympics in 16, but after ch- world championships in 2017, um, where I still did fairly well, I ended up getting fifth place. I had a little bit of an off year cause you know, expected I took some time off, but I kind of, kind of spiraled into a little bit of a depression where I like, wasn't sure what I wanted to do. Wasn't sure why that question of why, why am I still swimming? Like, what is my purpose? What am I doing? Um, and like one thing, you know, a lot of stuff happened and I I discovered, uh, that I, you know, wanted to, wanted to start making YouTube videos. And, uh, cause I've always been this big fan of movies and film and I wanted to learn how to edit film. So I like had this crazy idea of starting a, like of making a documentary revolving around like the world of, you know, an Olympian, the world of an Olympic swimmer. And then that led into me making a vlog. And, um, anyway, that's like my short winded way of saying like, now I kind of view myself as prior to that, I always viewed myself as just a swimmer. But now I see myself as a YouTuber. That is my career. That's how I make the most of my money. I'm, which still revolves around swimming, but I'm still a swimmer, but I'm also a YouTuber. I'm married. I'm, we're about to have a baby. So I'm about to be a father. Um, I'm running a business. So like I, I do a lot of other things that also take, you know, time and effort and, and energy. And, and um, it's just, it's just very, very different. But the thing that I think about the most is, that mindset that I had then compared to where I am now, I love talking to talking to athletes about it because some athletes don't change and some athletes who don't change that mindset find other ways to be successful in other things. And then some athletes who don't change really, really struggle. Like I've got a lot of friends that just never found a way to transition that, that lifestyle and that mindset of always, always pushing, always grinding, always trying, like always being on this war path, always trying to climb this mountain. Um, I think you have to find a way to translate that into something else, like whatever your competitive outlet is, because let's be honest, whether you're a swimmer or you're a gymnast or you're a rower or a skier, whatever it is, you're like, you're a warrior and like you're, you're designed and you have been ingrained to do one thing. And that is win, or that is kill, or that is whatever, whatever you want to call it. That's be successful. Um, and finding a way to, to harness that energy and to harness that mindset and that drive and that skill set that we all have, right. That I think the biggest thing is discipline, the discipline to get ever, to get up every morning and have a routine and follow through, um, and finding ways to harness those things. Oof, that's, I think that that's the biggest thing. Anyway, I don't even, I don't even remember what your question is. I'm sorry. I'll, I'll stop. I love your answer. I don't remember my yeah, question either. I don't either. Yeah. Uh, but I think that's absolutely fascinating and so true. I think personally it's been, you know, 14 years out of an Olympic games and it's constantly, I think when you grow up with such a specific purpose, then you think everything in life needs to have such a specific linear purpose. And if you can't find it in the world, it's it's very unsettling. Mm-hmm. And so I think you ultimately have to get comfortable with the uncomfortable in a different way. And athletes, of course, are so used to pain and discomfort and the mental struggle and the pressure and the anxiety. But at least we have a goal to hold on to. We know what we're doing it for. 
And then all of a sudden you retire and then you're not sure what you're doing and what you're doing it for. And so I think that is the biggest challenge in the transition. Um, But I want to circle back to vlogging. And I watched your your highlights for, I think, season one. And Mm. I I think what you're doing is is so interesting and so much a a moment in this time in history of of sharing our experiences and our day-to-day. And and I think it's it's two-sided. It's incredible because people that look up to you, people that want to know what it's like to be an Olympian can see your day-to-day. And it's such a gift to have that lens and that window into your life and your personality. Um, But at the same time, I feel like we're also in a generation that feels like if it's not on Instagram and the world can't see it, it didn't really happen or it didn't count. Um, And I'd love Mm -hmm. to hear more about like, you know, why you started the vlog and then how you feel about finding that balance of like what moments of life are just for you and what needs to be shared with the world. Yeah. uh, I I love that. So, you know, kind of what we were talking about before you asked that question of, you know, finding your purpose and finding a way to, you know, transition all those skill sets into something else. Um, I've kind of found a way to reinvigorate my love for swimming, which, and, and in turn, share it with the world. Um, which is kind of what I try, which, which is what I try to do with my videos. Um, I've been a lifelong film fan my whole life. Like uh, some of my earliest memories are my dad taking me to the movie theater. Um, and, uh, you know, being someone who has been swimming for so long, swimming is, I mean, as all sports are very, very physically taxing. So a lot of the time I just want to lay down and watch a movie. So, uh, I was obsessed with the editing process and I considered going to film school when I was looking at colleges, and, um, you know, when I was choosing colleges, it, it came down to Indiana and USC out in California because I, I wanted to go to the George Lucas Film School. Um, and ultimately, I decided to go to Indiana because my desire to make the Olympics outweighed my desire to become, you know, I don't know, whatever, what, you know, in the film world, whatever it is. I don't know. At, at that age, I was like looking at directing and screenwriting and all that stuff. Um, and so after the Olympics, uh, I had that moment where I was like, what, what is, what am I getting out of this? Like, why am I doing this? And, uh, as I kind of said earlier, I wanted, I decided like, I was like, okay, I'm going to make, I want to do something creative, something totally different, something outside my wheelhouse that I've never done before. Um, cause I was a business major in school. I like majored and I figured that would be like, you know, kind of helpful. Uh, you know, didn't go into, didn't go into the film realm. And, um, throughout my research process that I stumbled upon like the world of vlogging and people that share elements of their life on YouTube. And the the thing that was interesting to me wasn't the sensationalization. Is that a word, sensationalization? I don't even know. It sounds um, but, good. Yeah, it sounds, <laughs> it sounds smart. I mean, listeners are probably like, that guy's an idiot. But uh, so, it, the, but the, the sensationalization of people's lives, you know, like the, the glamorous aspects of people's lives that you see in these on these vloggers, YouTube worlds, like that stuff, I don't care about. Like, I don't care about material stuff. I don't care about any of that crap. But what was interesting to me was it was the editing process, was the, 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 was the creative process of how people go about doing things. And um, I thought that starting a vlog would be a, a fun, unique way for me to just kind of share elements of the swimming world. Um, but then also for me creatively, like learn how to do this stuff, like learn how to edit, learn how to, you know, transition things, learn how to synchronize music, learn how to just do stuff that I'd never done before. Um, and, you know, to this day, like I, I always strive for this one thing. And that is, you know, when I was like 12 or 13 years old, the greatest thing in the world would have been if Brendan Hansen or Aaron Pearsall had a TV show. 
And every, and every week they would take me through one of their practices. That would have been the greatest thing in the world for me. Those, for people listening, those are Olympic swimmers, Olympic gold medalists, former world record holders. Those are like the guys, those were the guys that were on Michael Phelps's relay teams before I was on Michael Phelps's relay team. You know, like those are the guys I wanted to be like. And so I was thinking, okay, like what if I could do that for the next generation? What if I could take people through what what is an Olympic swim practice look like? What what is what is a weekly training cycle look like? What does it look like in the weight room? What are we doing in the water? What are this and even the nitty gritty nerdy stuff? Like what are the sets we're doing? Like what are our intervals? What's the breath control? What are the stroke counts? What are the stroke rates? Like we can go into details. And this stuff just didn't exist. Nobody ever really talked about it. Um, and so that's kind of what I started doing with my YouTube channel. I started showing those things alongside other aspects of my life, right? Like, you know, me and Allie going to the movies or, you know, us on us unwrapping, you know, some new baby gift or whatever, you know. Um, and uh, in a weird way, I've like transitioned into like YouTube is kind of a career for me now. And it allows me to, to keep swimming. It's provided a lot of sponsors for me. So even outside of, you know, prize money and this new ISL league and all that, I'm able to support myself in ways that most other athletes aren't. Um, and I get to do so by, you know, sharing, you know, me and Lily do breaststroke pull sets every Tuesday afternoon or every, every Monday morning. And I can show kids like, this is, this is what we're holding. Like, this is what we're going. This is what you should be shooting for. Like we're holding 28s on these fifties breasts. Like let's go son. Like one day this is going to be you, you know? And, um, yeah, so I, it's really a weird world. Like when I look at social media, when I look at, you know, as you alluded to in your question, like if you didn't do it and put it on Instagram, it doesn't, it doesn't count. Like, ah, I hate that mentality. I, I so, so, so dislike that. I try to spend as, as a guy who makes his living, uh, making YouTube videos and, and, uh, and using Instagram for sponsorship purposes. I try to spend as little time on social platforms as possible outside of watching things myself on YouTube. Like I don't, I try not to mindlessly sift on social programs or on, you know, on, on Instagram or on Facebook or any of that stuff. I mean, obviously I recently watched the social dilemma on Netflix and I was like, ah, oh, this stuff's rotting our brain. It's so bad for you. And it really is. And we could talk forever about all the, all the bad things and how you get addicted to it and how it affects how you perceive yourself and, you know, on and on and on and on. But, uh, yeah. Well, I want, I, anyway. <laughs> I hear you on all those points, but I want to circle back to Tokyo 2020 in 2021. This is kind of unprecedented how COVID has changed, you know, everybody's life and especially, you know, athletes' lives. And, you know, I heard for a while that you couldn't find a pool and, you know, you'd have to drive for three hours a day to find a pool and you ultimately came up with yeah. some kind of solution in your backyard. So, so tell us what it's like being an athlete trying to prepare for an Olympics when everything's shut down. Oh man, it was rough. I mean, every, everything was shut down, like pools all across the state. Uh, as you said, I was legitimately driving three hours a day to get to a pool, um, to the point where, uh, I would drive to another town, swim practice there, stay the night there, like find somewhere to stay and then wake up, swim again there early that morning and then drive back. And I was basically rotating days at home, not at home. And I did that for a long time, like several, several weeks, months really. And then fortunately we found, it was crazy. We, we found, uh, before anything opened up, there was an article in the Indianapolis star about all of these Olympic swimmers that I trained with who don't have a place to train. And, uh, this woman, uh, who owns a company in Indianapolis and is, you know, is very financially well off was like, Hey, I have a lap pool in my house. You guys can use it. And we were like, Oh, great. 
And so that was nice because that was only an hour drive. So now we were only driving two hours a day, an hour up to Indianapolis from here. Um, but it was a single lane pool. We were swimming in a single lane. So like literally the pool was 10 feet wide and it was one lane. And it's like the craziest experience because it's like swimming in a wave pool. I mean, we we create a lot of waves and Anyway, that was that was a crazy experience driving. We did that for two months, swam in that pool. And now uh, there's a company called Endless Pools that makes, I guess the best way for me to describe it to people that have no idea, it's basically a treadmill for swimming. So it's this big, you know, 20 foot long, 12 foot wide unit that is not even 10 feet away from me. I can see it out my window right now. I'm sitting in front of a window. And um, yeah, you turn on the, the engine and it just, it creates it creates a current and you swim through a current. And, and, uh, I was able to swim in that for several months before, uh, <laughs> before pools started opening back up. So it's been like this weird roller coaster of ups and downs. Um, I'm like ultra fortunate that I've, you know, had swimming success and have enough, uh, I don't know if social, have a big enough social following where this company was like, Hey, we'd love to like work with you. Like, that's great. Like I, most people weren't that lucky, you know, it, it's very, very hard. And I think, the hardest thing was there was a good period of time where the games were postponed and we didn't really know, like now we're, we're very certain. Like it's very clear that we are going to have an Olympics again. Like we're, we're very, very certain of that. But after it happened, like it was a big question mark. They're like, yeah, we'll do it next year. No details, no idea, you know, for, and you know, you could go down the list of all the different reasons why you would be nervous about whether or not they were going to have an Olympic games, you know, for example, what are you going to do with the athlete village? I still don't know what they're going to do because that village that they built for the viewers listening, they plan for these Olympic games years and years and years in advance. And Japan is a very smart country that had built this facility for people to live in, all this housing, and they have already sold it off to residents of Tokyo. So like the village that we were supposed to live in as athletes are now being housed by residents of the city of Tokyo. That doesn't exist. And so they have to solve that problem. And I'm sure that they already have, they're working on it. But we as athletes, people that don't, people that aren't associated with the IOC don't have any idea logistically of what's happening. And so that is my, anyway, I kind of went off there, but there's a lot of reasons why we just, we were very uncertain. And so as an athlete living in that uncertainty was very, very difficult. It was very hard some mornings to get up and really just to find that motivation. Once again, the question of why, like, why are, why am I doing this? What is the purpose? Obviously I love going to the pool and I love swimming, but if I got to drive three hours a day and I don't even know if I'm going to be able to compete next summer, like, what are we doing here? Like that's, that's hard on anybody. Um, and I don't want to get like too self-loathing here. Like there are people with way bigger issues and like not being able to find a pool and not knowing if you're going to get to compete at, at, a, at an event, but still like when you, when you're an athlete that lives in a certain ecosystem that lives in a little bubble and that gets blown up and rocked. And now you don't know if they're going to be able to put the pieces back together. You know, you, you find it hard to dive in the pool, you know, at, at, <laughs> at 8am the next morning or to go for a run or, or whatever your respective discipline is. Um, it's been a very trying, very, very strange year. And I'm really looking forward to hearing all of the other Olympic athletes stories next summer, you know, after the games, like what everybody went through. I think that, you know, that's going to be one of the coolest things. I'm, I'm looking that I'm looking forward to that almost as, as much as anything else, really. Yeah. It's through this sharing of hardship and struggle and just kind of the insanity of this year. I think that ultimately, you know, you can kind of laugh off or bond over those 
struggles. Um, but I, I can't even imagine on top of all the normal pressures of being an athlete, trying to make a team, you know, navigating, uh, COVID and how, you know, Tokyo is going to handle it. But, um, it'll, it'll be a better story for the vlog <laughs> later down the line. Um, I heard, you know, I guess, uh, on another podcast, I also heard you speak a little bit about, uh, athletes you've met that are bitter at their sport and mm-hmm. how they will never step foot on the ice, um, in the pool, uh, never again. And I'd love to hear what you think about that, because I think athletes go two different ways and they either double down within their sport. They become a coach, they become a judge. Um, they, they really stay in it. They live and breathe it. And that's who they are. And they almost can't exist outside of that ecosystem because they've spent so many years developing an identity within it. Um, and then there are those who don't want it to define them anymore um, or who have been badly burned or hurt or have too many painful memories of a missed team um, or an injury that sidelined their dreams. And I, I'd love to hear, um, you know, kind of where that comment came from and, and what you think about it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, you see it every four years. And and me being a guy who trains with a college team um, about half the time, I train with the university team about half the time. And every single year I see, you know, seniors in college leave and go off and start a new career, start a new job. And it's always interesting to look at the athletes that continue to, you know, stay involved in their sport, be it following the sport, you know, paying attention to the results, you know, cheering for that team the next few years after they leave compared to the athletes that just want to completely get out, you know, um, the athletes that never want to step foot on a pool deck or step foot on the ice again. And that to me is like the most painful thing. Um, I think that oftentimes there's so much grind and there's so much focus on a certain goal that it drives people away. And I've seen it in swimming. I've seen it in people who, you know, are just mid-level national team swimmers. I've seen it in Olympic gold medalists. I've seen people just, you know, want to leave the sport completely. And, um, I think every case is different. Every every case is an is a case by case individual basis, right? Like there's no secret sauce. There's no we need to do this, we need to do that, prepare for what comes later. Um, but the thing that hurts me the most is when you see someone who spends the majority of their life doing something that they started pretty much because they love, right? Like the reason I started swimming was because I love it. I know a lot of other people that do other sports. They really just started because they love doing it, and to see them never want to do that again makes me sad. You know, like why it's so, it's so hurtful. And, um, I've, I I don't want to be like too depressing, but I've seen a lot of athletes that just want nothing to do with it. And, um, I don't know if there's a way to like totally solve it because as I said, there's a lot of different reasons for those outcomes. Um, but I also, I've also had this conversation with other people and I don't necessarily feel this way, but some people feel that that's just the nature of the beast, that you're going to get people that can handle it and that can hack it and people who can't. You're going to get people who can handle training their whole life for something, falling short of whatever that goal is, and then being able to, as you said earlier, kind of zoom out, zoom out, zoom out, reassess and then move on and then take those skills and take that drive and that focus that they learned and put it towards something else 
and be successful elsewhere and then live a a happy, healthy lifestyle and not be bitter. And then you're going to have other people that just can't move on. You're going to have other people that, that don't find a way to, you know, find meaning or find purpose or find identity elsewhere. And I don't know if, if, if that's really the case. I, I just, I've talked to, I've talked to some of my friends that just think that that is inevitable, that that's just, that's just the nature of the beast. And I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It's, um, it's certainly a personal experience and everyone muddles through it in their, in their own way. Um, and I think so much of it just isn't even shared. So we don't really know how people process and go to that next chapter. I want to end with a question I ask all my guests and it's what is your Olympic or Paralympic moment outside of sports? If mm. there's this, been this aha moment where you're going to like look back and it just is going to have this seminal importance. Oh, that's an easy one. Uh, uh, so I met, I met my wife, Allie, uh, my senior year of college, uh, in 2014, she was the, uh, assistant coach at IU my senior year. But I remember, uh, I was preparing for a competition in December of 2013. I was a part of a, a meet called the duel in the pool. And I was, I was going to fly to Scotland and compete for team USA. And, um, I was the only guy on the college team that was a part of this team USA trip. So I was training separately from the team. And there were a few days where my primary coaches were focused with the collegiate team. And so they just gave me to the assistant coach, Allie. And, um, so Allie was just running some of my workouts, you know, reading my times, giving me the set, talking to me about stuff. And I remember asking her what kind of movies she likes. This is my answer to your question. I remember this distinctly. I was like, so Allie, like what kind of movies do you like? And she started rattling off all the stuff. And she was like, really like Lord of the Rings. I'm obsessed with The Hobbit. I love Harry Potter, all this like nerdy stuff. And in my mind, I was like, <gasps> like this girl, this is the girl. This is the guy got to date this girl. That's it. That's the, that's the one. Like, I mean, I don't know if people are going to see this in video form, but like I'm sitting in a Harry Potter room right now. Like my wife lets, not lets, my wife and I collect Harry Potter Funko Pops. There's over 200 of them on the walls of this room. But I like remember that moment where like she was into all the same stuff as me. Like all the stuff that most people are like, that's really lame. That's, that's very childish, Cody. Why would you collect, why would you collect toys? Really? You're going to spend money on toys. You know, that's the stuff I like. That's the stuff that makes me happy. And so, yeah, when I, when I found out, this is before we ever even dated. When I found out that she was just into all the same stuff as me, I was like, "Ah, oh, we've got a winner here." So, makes well, me. I like to see that your Olympic um, persistence has already paid off in other <laughs> categories outside your sport. Uh, I think that that's such a big thing that you know, dealing with failure. That um, you know, we have to deal with like injuries or feeling terrible and pushing through and pushing through and you not accepting no as an answer. So it's, it's nice to see that you've already been very successful applying that and projecting that outside of swimming, outside of the pool. I've, I've been lucky for sure. It's, it's, it's gone well with her. So, I mean, I'm, I'm doing something right. <laughs> Definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining me. I'm wishing you the best of luck, um, you know, heading into the trials and to, to Tokyo. We're going to be so excited to watch for you and cheer for you. And, and then, to see what um, films you'll be directing in the next oh, God. five to 10 years after um, <laughs> people will be watching. Um, where can people find you on social media or your vlog? Yeah. Uh, just check out my YouTube channel. Just Cody Miller adventures. If you just type in Cody Miller, I'm sure something crazy will pop up. Uh, you know, Instagram just at Cody Miller and yeah, that's it. <laughs>
Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me today and uh, best of luck. Thank you. I appreciate it. Please subscribe to Sasha Sessions wherever you get your podcasts. You can find new episodes every Monday. Produced by Bigfoot Music and Sound in New York City.